This is Season 2, Episode 17. Do you hug trees for a living? We do too. Welcome to Let's Talk Parks. This is a collaborative project that gives a voice to emerging leaders in parks and recreation. We believe every professional has the potential to make a difference in their organization and in their communities. These are the stories of the future leaders who are navigating their career and finding their purpose through Parks and Rec. Hey everyone, Marissa Moravik here. I had such a fun opportunity to talk to Dr. Jeremy Robinette from Western Illinois University about educating our communities about Parks and Recreation. I think so many of us ended up falling into this field. We didn't know that this was a profession until we were in college or maybe we were already graduated from college and had a degree in something else. So I think this is a great episode about how we educate our communities about what we do and how to encourage more people to get their degree in Parks and Recreation, how much fun it is, what the benefits are of what we do. Um, So definitely a great episode. And I want to remind everyone to sign up for our newsletter if you haven't done so already. And also follow us on Instagram. Um, We have updates every week about what's coming up that day. And also we have some fun little Instagram stories so that you guys kind of know what we're up to and what's coming up. So go ahead and take a listen. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Now I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Jeremy Robinette from Western Illinois University, who is an assistant professor for the Recreation Park and Tourism Department since 2014. Prior to that, he was teaching assistant at the University of Illinois from 2010 to 2014. He is also involved in the Alumni Association for Western Illinois University for the Recreation Park and Tourism Department. Hey, Let's Talk Parks. Today, I am joined by Dr. Jeremy Robinette from Western Illinois University. I had initially approached him to talk about the field of parks and recreation at the university level. What can we be doing as professionals and educators to improve the future? The response I received from Dr. Robinette dove deeper and touched on an area that I felt strongly about for a while, educating our communities about what the professionals that serve their communities do. I didn't know that parks and recreation was a field until I was going into my junior year of college. Although I had worked for a park district for three years at that point, I didn't know that our aquatics manager had gone to school to be a parks and rec professional. My high school had pushed professions in the areas of business, healthcare, technology, and everything else, but failed to inform us that there is an amazing field of parks and recreation. So I I invited Dr. Robinette to talk to us today because who better to talk to us than a professor at Western Illinois University. Um, For some of our listeners who don't know, I am an alumni from Western Illinois University. I graduated um, almost 11 years ago. And funny thing is my senior year, one of my finals was that we had to create a podcast, um, a podcast episode, and I failed it miserably. So 11 years ago, didn't know what a podcast was, um, and here I am today co-hosting Let's Talk Parks. So um, it's crazy how things work out that way. So thank you, Jeremy, for being here today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Happy to. So I am starting my sixth year here at Western Illinois University. Uh, My primary area that I teach is on the event planning programming side, very much where my passions and history have sort of lied. Um, I grew up in Southern Missouri and did my undergrad at Missouri State. 
uh, discovered that I really loved working with students when I was an event director for the University of Illinois. I got my master's and PhD through their rec sport tourism program and then was recruited to come to Western when Western was launching its uh, event management programming. And so I've been here now, like I said, for six years. Uh, some areas that I work with a lot are the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I've been blessed to work with IPRA in a variety of capacities related to how do we get our practitioners as well as our future practitioners more mindful of ways to serve all elements of our communities. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting us know a little bit about you. You have a very interesting background. And one of the reasons I asked Dr. Robinette or Jeremy to talk to us um, was because I heard him speak um, on diversity and inclusion during one of our IPRA webinars this um, earlier this summer. So um, I thought he would be a fun person to interview. And um, I'm always happy to have someone representing Western Illinois speak with us. So we'll dive into this topic of um, education and parks and recreation. So what are trends and challenges that you're seeing at the university level for the field of parks and recreation? Well, I think you actually hit on one just a moment ago. Uh, I think we as a field need to really hone in on telling our story and making sure that people understand the incredible role that our field has on not only individual health, but also community health. Um, when you talk about quality of life and you ask people, I mean, we're learning this right now through the pandemic uh, to a great deal. People want to be with people. People want opportunities to engage. People want spaces and places where they can gather with others, be it through, you know, Zoom, uh, a way that we're doing it a lot these days, or Google Meets, Teams, whichever one it may be, but people are missing what we offer. They're missing getting to go to their local aquatic center. They're missing the opportunity to sit and watch kids play t-ball and all of those sorts of things. Uh, we're in the uh, hospitality and tourism industries. We want to go on vacation. We want to go places and see things that are new. But what's incredible, when I go and visit high schools, students still don't know that they can major in what we do. They don't understand that across our fields, we have above a 10% growth rate anticipated by um, Occupational Outlook Handbook and all of that over the course of the next 10 years. There are a lot of people in our field who are retiring over the course of the next 10 years and we need more people to fill those positions. And so one of the things that I think a challenge in our field is getting our practitioners and universities on the same page in effectively communicating to our legislators, high school counselors, all of the incredible things that we're doing and that it's a viable job opportunity for young people moving forward. Uh, yes, we need accountants. Yes, we need doctors. But we also need the practitioners that are going to make the quality of life for our communities good. And that's really where we, we step in. As far as some trends that I'm seeing, um, I'm seeing that universities across, uh, especially our state, are starting to pay more attention to some of the needs that our practitioners are talking to us about. 
Um, we're building more, uh, as you referenced your podcast from 10 years ago, um, we, we are introducing more and more curriculum that focuses on technology, right? Making sure that our students know how to use uh, Excel in order to do budgetary needs as well as contact lists. Uh, we're teaching them about app development so that we can find ways to quickly, conveniently stay in contact with our communities. Um, not only from an emergency standpoint, but also from a get the word out about the programs that we're doing. We're becoming much more mindful in our curriculum about diversity, equity, and inclusion issues and helping our students understand that they are walking into incredibly diverse communities. What worked 10 years ago may or may not work now. And, uh, you know, it takes time to change curriculum. Anyone that's been to a university understands the bureaucracy that universities involve. Um, but really those university and agency partnerships are trends that I think are continuing to grow. And then honestly, just the technology. Uh, I know in a course that I teach, um, we're working with a software platform so that our students gain experience in working with a recreation software before they leave. Um, again, you know, every agency has the capacity to use not only one, but several different softwares. But if you know one, you can usually pick up the other fairly quickly. So we're, we're spending a lot of time on those areas. That's awesome because when I was at Western, we had your fund fundamental programs. Like I went into, I think it was the elementary or the middle school and helped with their before and after school program. And you get to create things and, you know, stuff like that. But I know I've worked for seven different park districts and I think I've used four, four or five different softwares, ActiveNet class back when IBEX was a thing. I don't know if that's even around anymore, but Yes, preparing students for all of the different softwares that you're going to use. You know, there's registration softwares, but there's also like HR softwares that you use when you hire your lifeguards and things like that. And um, like you said, Excel and there's different um, like scheduling platforms, like when to work to schedule your staff. So if students know all of the different outlets that they're going to use and that they have available to them, um, it a makes them so much more valuable when they do get out into the professional world, you know, okay, we don't have to train this person how to use the software. They already know how to use it. So, um, but also so that they're more comfortable around these softwares too. Um, and to go back to what you were saying a little bit earlier about, we don't, educate our communities enough on what we do. Um, I am a huge advocate for any time my park district says that the local high school is doing a career fair. Um, I am, I will park my butt there all day long and tell everyone how amazing this field is and how much fun it is and how rewarding it is. And you don't have to be an engineer or a doctor or an accountant you can do something that impacts your community and that you absolutely love. So I think we could definitely do a better job of getting the word out there. And um, I've noticed that I feel like a lot of places have gotten away from like, all right, having your parent come in and tell you, tell the class what they do for a living. Um, I, I don't think that I ever had that, you know, when I was growing up, no one ever came in and told us, you know, but you see it in TV shows all the time about parents coming in for career days. 
So I feel like we need to get back to that. Have parents come in and tell the class what they do for a living. Um, because I, I had friends growing up whose parents did work for our local park district and I had no idea. So just getting kids a broader idea of what's out there and what's available to them. And, and doing it in ways that make sense to them. So um, we, we, we don't typically in our field have the traditional nine to five job, right? And so explaining to a young person all of the diversity of activities that they're going to work on uh, in our field can be challenging, right? It's not as easy for a person to grasp when we say, I'm a programming specialist or I coordinate after school programs. You know, it, it doesn't have the same sort of easy to understand as I'm an accountant, right? Um, and so we could be more intentional as a field in um, sort of personalizing and helping. So, you know, there are some park districts that have done things like day in the life and they just do little snippets or just quick little paragraphs if, if they don't have videographers. Um, a lot of our students find those helpful. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I asked my class yesterday, one of my introductory level classes, how many of them in high school knew about our field? Two of them knew about our field. And the reason they knew about our field was that their parents had worked in it was for one of them. And for the other one, it was because they were really close to the coach that they had. Um, he was in charge of athletic programs for a park district. And he was close to them and so knew about that field. Um, and then just sort of going back a second, I want to make sure that I, I was clear about the technology. Um, we, we don't have enough time in our days to teach all of the different softwares. So what we're doing is really teaching our students to be better at learning about the softwares. So for them to become better advocates for their own education of um, tutorials. You know, there are a variety of tutorials for every software. It's not really on the agency to teach you all of the details of it. Instead, let's learn how to access these tutorials. Let's look at how as educated practitioners, education doesn't stop when I hand you your diploma as you walk across the stage. In fact, you're just getting ready to learn more. I'm just teaching you the practices that will help you be better at those practices when you go forward. I love that because I think like when I graduated, I expected that you as professors had given me every tool I needed to be successful in the field. And then you graduate and you learn. They didn't teach me even, I mean, the tip of the iceberg of what I need to know. So you start to learn how important it is to connect with a mentor and find someone who can really help you and um like I don't be able to play around on some of those softwares, be comfortable playing around on class or active net and know that you're not going to make a giant mistake. That's going to crash the system. Um, you know, be careful. There are training modules that you can practice on, but um, I try to tell my staff when I, you know, oversee staff that work front desks and lifeguards and things like that, you can play around a little bit. Don't go and change someone's payment schedule, but you can play around with, you know, play around on your own account, create an account for yourself and play around with it. So, but I think so many college students graduate and expect that they're going to go into the field of parks and recreation and know everything that they should need to know how to do. You guys are just preparing us as professionals to be professionals. Um, it's really up to us to 
further that education and to learn more and to be open to learning um, and know that we don't know everything. So um, I do think I do think our universities across the state um, have gotten much more strategic in regard to our curriculums than maybe we even used to be, you know, five, ten years ago uh, in that. Uh, universities have been hit by the same budget issues that many of our uh, park and rec agencies have been and we've had to streamline and figure out curricularly what must our students know you know and so we've gone to you gotta you have to understand programming Uh, you have to understand that there are financial and risk management considerations that you're gonna face no matter what element of our um, field you go into you have to understand uh, you're going to be working with diverse populations. And so we've become, and you know, like I said earlier, technology is becoming more and more an expectation. Uh, I, I have to tell my students all the time that when you leave here and you go for an interview, do not be surprised if the agency has you do something on Excel or has you use the Google suite as part of your interview to demonstrate that you understand shared folders, shared documents, and that you are capable of contributing to a team using the requisite technologies. And my students go, you mean they're gonna give me a spreadsheet and an interview? And I'm like, they very well could. And so that's why we're going to spend a lot of time learning how to write a formula in Excel. Or this is why um, we're partnering with Amelia on some of the software that they're going to be learning. And so, This is why you have to understand how to use Excel to determine cost recovery, but then also in a system, be able to understand how the system is using these different numbers that you've now put together. Um, It's not, I I laugh with some of my colleagues who are in other departments uh, about their understandings of what rec park tourism, uh, sport, what, what all of our areas are. And, I just laugh. I'm like, no, we, we don't teach them how to build fires unless like our outdoor leadership programs. Otherwise they're learning business competencies. They're learning uh, social issues. They're learning about all of the things that are necessary to help individuals and communities grow. And it just changes their understanding of what it is that we do. Well, and we need more advocacy like that because I can tell you 10, 11, 12 years ago when I was getting my degree in parks and recreation, the big joke was that I was getting my degree on how to play games. So I think the big misconception is that that's all I know how to do. That's Mm -hmm. all I can contribute to society is making sure that my kids know how to play games and that my seniors have um, events to attend and exercise programs and things like that. No, I mean, there's a lot of business competencies that go into what we do, budgeting and HR. And I almost think that we cover a lot more than people give us credit for, but we do get to have fun doing it. Um, I mean, it's one of the reasons I switched from being a marketing major to a parks and rec major is I didn't want to sit in a cubicle. I didn't want to sit at a desk from nine to five. I wanted to have fun and I wanted to make an impact on my community. So um, 
but I think we get the best of both worlds. We get to do kind of the business stuff, um, but we also get to make such a huge difference. Um, and I love knowing that Western now is doing a little bit more of that and teaching professionals that we don't just play games with people. We do so much more. And the other thing that we really focus on as we go forward is uh, teaching them that why it does matter if we're playing a game. And all of the, you know, it's one of my favorite things to do when someone says something like that to me or, oh, you guys just learned how to hug trees. And I go, yeah, let's talk about the benefits of hugging a tree. Let's talk about sustainability and the important economic and social impacts it has. Or, oh, you, you want to talk about playing a game. There, there's a reason that people are spending hours on their phones doing Candy Crush and other types of things of, we live in an incredibly stress-filled time. And we know from decades of empirical research that leisure matters. The quality of life matters. Um, we can get as medical as we want to, and we've got the data in order to support that. We can get as economic as we want to. We've got data to support that. Um, but just overall looking at someone and quite honestly being able to say, what brings you quality in your life and how often their answer will come back to something we do. And I think we as universities and as an industries, um, we've got to get better at asking people that question. Where are you finding joy? What is making your life? If you're going to go spend all of this, or if you're going to go work all of these hours, what are you spending that money that you spent all of that time on? Is it a vacation? Great, our field does that. Is it going out to have dinner that night? Great, people in our field do that. Is it to uh, provide opportunities for your children to learn how to better fit in social situations in life? Great, we do that. Is it so that you have a beautiful space that raises your property values? Great, we do that. And so it's helping them it's helping them understand that uh, we, we do a lot of incredible things and um, it's a very worthy profession for their children to be going into. Um, I, I think that's where we, we can do a better job. I, I love all of that. So what do you think are barriers that are keeping youth from deciding to get a degree in the field of parks and recreation? I'll be completely honest. I think uh, parents, are one of the primary areas that it becomes challenging, right? Uh, when a parent is considering whether or not um, their child is, number one, going to go to school, because that's a very real conversation that we as a society need to have. Um, the value of degrees and what a person is getting. Um, you know, we, we talk about it in terms of, are they guaranteed a job when they graduate with a particular degree? Um, we're lucky in our field, especially because of retirements and other things that are happening, um, the job placement rate is going to be strong for people that are graduating with degrees from our universities. Um, are they going to graduate making $70,000? Probably not. And if you're looking at student loan debt and all of those things, it's very real conversations that families are having. Um, at the same time, Parents also need to be recognizing that if you go out and you get, uh, the child gets a degree that would enable them, uh, and it's not just the, the kid, because at some point the, the kid becomes responsible for themselves even with, without their parents, but the, 
having a job that's paying, that's providing you with quality of life um, versus a job where you have the potential to make lots of money. Um, I'll take the job that's actually paying me money every day, right? And so getting parents to understand that our field matters. I think that's barrier number one. Two, getting our universities to understand that our disciplines matter. Um, you know, we have some faculty that are recreation, park, tourism, sport professionals that are able to bring in NIH grants and other grants that are worth big, big dollars. But that's not the reality for most of us, right? We have alumni that some of them are able to write the big, big checks back to the university. But that's not the reality for most of our alumni, right? And so getting our universities to view our departments on the metric of the impact that we have on our communities, the impact that we have on our state, based on the depth that our departments are reaching into our local communities and impacting the overall health. We are what's going to make Illinois more attractive for people to live here. And so getting our universities to prioritize our departments um, can sometimes be a real big challenge. Um, our alumni are always willing to help out, um, but we as universities aren't always great at leveraging that assistance. Um, and so when universities are cash strapped and trying to make a decision about which department gets new faculty, it's not always us that they look to first, right? Um, I think we also have the problem of most park rec professionals, tourism professionals, uh, sport professionals, we get the job done. And so we as faculty don't always do the best job of being the squeaky wheel at our university saying we need more because we, like our practitioners, we just get the job done. And so I think there's, those are really some challenges that we're gonna have to figure out how to, how to work on moving forward. But parents, oh, anything that our uh, practitioner partners can do with us in order to speak to parents and groups and you know, talking to the kid about what it is that you do is definitely important, but getting the parents to understand it they really shape a lot of what their child is going to look at when they go to a university. So sort of focusing on them would be tremendously helpful. I, especially as a parent of a first grader and a three-year-old, agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I remember a conversation with our teacher last year when my son was going into kindergarten, and she talked about homework and stuff like that. And I very proudly said, I'm a parks and rec professional, and my child will be playing after school. They will be learning that way. They'll be getting their hands dirty and messy and will certainly read at night, but I am not going to hunker him down and make sure that he knows how to do multiplication in kindergarten. Ain't going to happen. Um, but also, I think I have a unique um, platform because I am the mother of a first grader and I'm social media friends with a lot of other moms. And thankfully, Let's Talk Parks has given me the opportunity to voice my field to them. So a lot of moms in our community are very much aware that I work for the park district. They've learned how important my role is and how important the park district is, especially now that we're providing e-learning assistance. Um, we are offering these e-learning hubs. So I have so many moms coming to me asking me questions about our e-learning hub, our camps, our karate programs, our swim lessons, things like that. So 
I think it's like you said, us as practitioners in the field, making our voices heard. And normally I think, like you said, in our field, we are kind of the, we just get it done. We stay quiet. We're very humble. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves, but it's time to draw some attention to ourselves. It's time to, when you're at your kids, you know, parent teacher conference saying, oh, by the way, I'm a parks and rec professional and this is what I want my kids' friends to know about. And when they have play dates, explaining to the other parents how important it is that we are at the playground right now and that they are playing with each other. And um, so I think, like you said, it's, it's on parents. And so I will say that as a parent and a parks and rec professional, I feel like I am the in the best situation to advocate for our field and to educate my son's friends and classmates on what we do and why we do it and their parents as well about how important this is. So even now when we're in, sorry, sorry for interrupting there. Uh, Even right now while we're in a period of e-learning, you know, one of the things that I find myself having numerous conversations with parents about, um, I am not a parent, and so the stress that parents are dealing with in now negotiating a whole new realm of how to educate their child, uh, the socialization of their child, Um, but one of the conversations that I'm I'm having a lot is the importance of recess and PE in the e-learning platform, and, you know, I'm talking a lot with parents about, oh, oh, okay, but they're there is value to those even being done through the e-learning platforms in that your children are learning socialization and socialization with their peers is very different than socialization with adults. They need those moments where they're comparing what their body is doing to what their peers body is doing instead of what um, mom, dad, guardian's body is doing, right? Like me going and running looks feels totally different than a four or five-year-old that's running. And if they're running and competing against, you know, their caregiver as running and playing with someone their own age, their own size, uh, it's very different in how it shapes their understanding of both themselves and others. And that's happening there. And the conversations that they get to have, right? Um, They don't have the complexity to talk about anxiety and fear and to articulate all of the emotional things that, well, quite honestly, some adults are even finding really problematic to explain right now. And so giving them the time and space during recess, even even if it's via Teams or via Google Meets or Zoom, whatever it is, to where they're with their peers. I mean, we all know that when we hang out with people that have the same job we do, we have to explain less. So those conversations flow easier. It's not different for our kids. And so I do think our field, and I'm really excited to learn that you guys are doing the e-learning hubs and providing spaces and places for parents to catch a break and kind of be able to do some things that um, are, are beneficial for them as well. But this is a great time for us to be advocating with other parents, to be advocating with our school districts about, okay, but see, you are getting to experience firsthand why we matter and the providing these opportunities to these kids is actually helping their mental health at a time that we as a nation need to be very concerned about the mental health of our children. And so I think that it is advantageous that we're, uh, and I, I, again, uh, I applaud y'all for providing those spaces and places for 
those families to access. And we've been doing it safely. So, and I can, I've told everyone I can get their attention, how important it was that my son attended camp this summer. Um, They were in small groups of 10, but I have told everyone I've you know, gotten in contact with what a shell he had become this spring, the 12 weeks that we spent at home. And then he started camp in the middle of June and just what a different kid he was, how happy he was. He cried when I picked him up from camp the first day because he didn't want to leave. So like you just said, being with people who understand you and are like you and that you can just be yourself around, um, I think is so important right now when we as parks and rec professionals are providing that. Um, I almost, I almost wish our e-learning hubs were a little more accessible to every kid so that they could continue to be safely around kids their age. And I think it just goes to show that we as parks and rec professionals, not everyone gives us enough credit, but we have found ways to keep kids safe during this time, but together and um, allow them to be themselves and to have fun. And I think that's one of the things where I would push us as well um, as we're talking about the importance of um, being able to be around people that understand what we're going through or that are having the same types of experience. Um, while each of our experiences are going to be different, we all are sharing, uh, we're sharing a national moment right now. And I think that this is a great moment for us to begin looking at some of the diversity diversity, equity, and inclusion issues of as we talk about who we're with and how we're with them. In many ways, our social networks have shrunk tremendously. Most of us are no longer encountering encountering strangers or people that we um, aren't intimately close to in our everyday lives. And so taking a moment of introspection and actually looking at what do our social networks actually look like? provides us with a challenge for moving forward and diversifying and better understanding who our agencies are serving. Who are we around, right, as people in those particular times? Um, And I think that that will be another trend that will um, potentially help our field is to um, begin to recognize We do really great at some levels of having diverse work environments, of having diverse programming where we're serving multiple groups in our local communities. But just sort of taking a quick moment to look at our our experiences of who, who, who are we actually engaging with now? And can we broaden that? And what are plans that we can be putting in place so that when this passes, um, in whatever the capacity that looks like, How do we better serve all members of our community? How do we better integrate? um, How do we better operate the programming that we have to foster and create those more inclusive spaces? Yes, Um, I could go on and on about that topic. Um, Nile and I were actually sending each other messages um, this morning about that, about even just cultural things, Um, you know, like, understanding that some um, different cultures observe different holidays. So all of a sudden you might not have any program. Like last week, I didn't have any program. Well, not any, but I didn't have the volume of program participants that I did because I didn't realize it was a big holiday for some of my participants. Um, And when I worked in fitness centers, 
I didn't realize that some cultures don't shower in their own homes. They shower outside of their homes because of certain beliefs. Um, so understanding that your locker room really matters and what you have available in your locker rooms. Um, and just, you know, one of the other park districts I worked for, keeping kosher during our programs. So being mindful and making those spaces available to our participants, making them comfortable and like I said, I learned real quick during one of my senior programs, I had ordered a bunch of sandwiches with meat and cheese on them and very quickly learned that that was not kosher. And I had to peel a hundred pieces of cheese off these turkey sandwiches because that was not kosher. So it's, it's knowing and learning and making sure that your, your participants are going to be comfortable when they come to your programs. They're going to feel accepted. They're going to feel welcome. So, um, completely different topic, but um, one that I, I, I love. But I think it maps, actually. I think it maps onto the moment we're having right now. Uh, the majority of us didn't know how to use Zoom when this all started. We were uncomfortable. We were embarrassed in order to try to figure out the number of times that people apologized and said, oh, apparently I'm muted or, oh, I'm unmuted. And we made it through. We make it through those embarrassing moments and we come out better and more capable. The same practices can happen with becoming more culturally aware. Yes, we're gonna stumble. Yes, we're gonna say things that are wrong. Yes, we're gonna <laughs> unmute ourselves when maybe we should mute ourselves. Um, but we can become better. And uh, I, I think that, especially right now, where we're not going out and doing as many things, it's a great time to look at Census Bureau demographics, figure out who lives in our community, and read up on them, you know? Like read up on the history of where uh, that ethnic group came from. What are some of the ethnic holidays, ethnic trends that individuals may be celebrating? Um, it's a great time to, um, I know for me personally, and we're all dealing with different, um, different stressors, we're all dealing with um, different just realities right now. But for me, instead of me focusing on what I'm missing, figuring out what I can enhance has been really helpful in getting through all of this. Yes, I think that has, at least for me too, has been a huge focus of what can I do better? What am I good at? How can I best contribute to our field, to my community, to my family? Um, it's all about your mindset. And um, I encourage all of our listeners to, if you're not in that mindset of what am I doing that's great. What can I do better um, to try to do so? I think that's really important. So, um, so there's some talk that fewer universities are offering parks and recreation as a degree. Why do you think that is? I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but if you want to elaborate on it. I think that it comes down to as universities have had to look at resources and how they distribute resources um, our programs aren't always the largest programs in terms of number of majors. And universities have often made the decision that they're going to focus more resources in, um, in, in terms of larger majors. Or we've seen across the state an incredible reorganization, as different universities call them. And oftentimes, park, rec, tourism types of spaces end up being uh, assumed into other areas, right? So, Kinesis. And you know, there are people that will say, well, it makes sense for kinesiology and recreation to be together. And those of us that are in the field go, no, 
They don't always. Philosophically, you have one that is typically a very medically minded field. Um, Kines with looking at exercise science and some of the medicinal views. Um, and then you have Parks Rec Tourism, which has taken a very social model view. And so they don't, they're not always as, um, they don't always rest as well together as the uninformed might think they could. And so I think that's another advocacy moment of us explaining and establishing that. Um, when, it look, when you look at dollars and cents, this also comes down to parents. Are parents willing to advocate for a park and rec program to university administrators the way that the general public may choose to advocate for an accounting or a business program? Um, one of the things that I've been really blessed with here in uh, Western Illinois is uh, our economic development officers, our local park districts, our local hospitality industries have all been tremendous partners. Uh, shout out to IPRA as well. Um, they've stepped in in order to write letters and be really supportive when we've asked them to help advocate on behalf of our department of saying, no, this is an important field. Uh, if you're in the state of Illinois and you're in a rural area or an urban area, hospitality is a driving force. Recreation is a driving force in what is leading to the thriving of our communities. We just need to be better at making sure that university administrators understand that. There are jobs, there are careers, there are people that are incredibly supportive of what we do. Um, and much as you spoke a moment ago about Maybe it's not the time for us to be as humble and quiet as we have been about it. Um, and instead to say, um, economically, socially, we matter. And don't be so quick to think that you can just push us into a field where maybe we don't fit. So how can we as practitioners go about doing that? Do we write to our universities? Do we... Um, how do, we, how do we go about that? How do we let universities know that we matter? Partner with us. So partner with us in terms of um, activities that students are doing in class. Zoom in to our classrooms and talk about what it is that you do. Um, when, you know, I, I can talk to my students as much as I want about the importance of them knowing Excel, right? I can tell them that y'all are potentially gonna ask them to do some database management at an interview. And much like a kid looks at their parent and goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't ring as true as when uh, one of you is zooming in or one of you is in person in my class and say, yeah, I'm gonna give you about 30 minutes in order to calculate the uh, unit cost of a program using Excel. And if you can't do it, then I'm not, you're not gonna be the ideal candidate. It means so much more from you. Um, even a, a small one, um, scholarships and grants. Even if a uh, agency can't afford to do a lot of money in order to support a local department, um, offering a $100 book scholarship or granting the local department, you know, $500 in order to assist you with a community survey, uh, something where students can gain practical experience. The administration of universities looks at that. They look at it as, oh, okay, well, that faculty member actually does have a grant with this agency, or um, 
this department or this agency believes enough in that department that they're willing to give a book scholarship. Um, doesn't even have to be big amounts. It just needs to be things. Partner with us to put on a community event. Uh, make it a virtual community event right now. Um, the reality becomes professors are so busy in the classroom that, or you know, doing their research that we don't always have, we don't always have the amount of time that we would need in order to reach out to the communities that you're already connected to. So allow us both to use our strengths and uh, it just strengthens the, it strengthens the arguments that the department can make about their importance. That's awesome. Well, and to any universities that are listening to this, if you ever want me to come speak to your students, um, I am more than happy to zoom in or have an excuse to come visit Western Illinois University again. Um, although I feel like it's a very different campus now, but um, I am always happy to go have an excuse to visit a university and preach about our field and tell everyone how passionate I am about it. Um, so don't ever feel like, okay, Parks and Rec professionals, it's time to start reaching out to your alma maters and let them know that you are here for them and that you are willing to come speak to students and do whatever you can. So that is my, my call to action to my coworkers right now. Offer to mentor a student. Like we all, faculty will know students that maybe are struggling about if they want to be in our major or not. Having, and I'm blessed, uh, we have some alums who have reached out and are doing exactly what you're, what you're talking about. And don't worry, I will make sure that you're speaking in classes now that you have volunteered that. Oh, good. Um, who, you know, we all, we'll have a kid who maybe they, they think they want to go into our field, but they're not sure. And having that alumni that we can connect them to, even electronically, can be incredibly helpful. And I will also say, um, I know rumors are out about every university, well, just about every rec program in our state, um, or how we're doing, how we're not doing. It's getting better. Uh, I, I can speak from Western's perspective. You know, we now have the largest freshman class that we've had in a few years. Uh, the students that are in our classes, they want to be here. Um, you know, and I know people are saying, well, why are you open or not open and all of these different things? The universities are trying to meet the demands of so many different groups, right or wrong, right? Like some people were gonna say that it was okay to open, some people were gonna say it wasn't okay to open. And so balancing and delivering our programs across a variety of delivery methods is what just about every institution is trying to do right now. So we have some courses that are face-to-face, -face. we have multiple courses that are blended where if a kid wanted to join us digitally, that's the only way they're doing it. Um, if they wanna be face-to-face, -face, we're making that work. So professors are learning technologies. Um, <laughs> we're, we're trying to do things every day in order to make it work. And we appreciate all of the support that we're getting from um, our partners. And you know, it was great yesterday, IPRA sent out the invitation for free memberships for our students. And so we communicated that to all of our students last night. and we're still trying to make sure that they understand the importance of our field and the greatness of the agencies that are supporting us. Well, and the importance of IPRA. I mean, back when I was a student, I didn't get it. I mean, it was like $65 to be a student member of IPRA. And I was like, eh, I'm not going to spend my $65 on that. But as you go further into our careers and professions, you learn how important that partnership with IPRA is. So, for our students who are listening, 
take advantage of it, um, become a member of IPRA. If we do have state conference this year in January, go. Um, and this is my invitation to connect with me and have me show you around and introduce you to people because um, I can't tell you how important being an IPRA member has been. So, um, yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I just think that you're right in, in all of that. Just the importance of forming those relationships early. And I think so many of us are so willing to show you around, be a part of, you know, this process. Um, it's just getting connected. So I think now that a lot of us know how to get connected with our universities, how to partner and how to be more accessible, I think I'm hoping after this episode that we will be. Um, we'll be more involved in the universities. Universities will reach out to us um, let it be known on your LinkedIn which university you graduated from so that, you know, you can make those connections. Um, I was obviously much more comfortable connecting with Jeremy than I would be someone from Illinois State because I graduated from Western. We have something in common. So make those connections with your universities. Update your alumni records. So one of the things that we run into is um, I'll know someone's a Western alum, but they haven't been in touch with the university since their first job. And so when I send out an email to all of our alumni, it only touches a portion of them because they haven't stayed in touch with the university. And so we don't have, we don't have good contact information for them. And so then I'll get the call of, well, I didn't know you guys were doing that. And I, I say, well, help me help you know what we're doing. And so um, lots of times if you just go to your alumni association um, of your university, their webpage, they will have a simple form for you to fill out and you can even specify different types of communication that you want to get or don't want to get. And um, even just filling that out can really help your department stay connected with you. Uh, we send out semesterly updates of this is what we're doing, these are the programs that we're having, these are the events, I mean, that's a little different now, but these are the events that we're doing. And it's great for the for our alumni that are actually connected with us, but others often have to end up word of mouth or maybe they click on us on Facebook. So I'll admit that I am guilty of that. I don't think I've updated my alumni record since probably the first year or two out of college. So after we get off our call, I am going to update my alumni record with Western Illinois so that you guys can better reach out to me. But um, so that's another really good piece of advice for our listeners and action step to take. Go update your alumni records. So thank you for sharing that with us. I appreciate you uh, giving me a space and a place that I can share that with people. Yes. Well, and I think that's one of the biggest points of this podcast is to be able to give a voice to all different corners of our profession and get the message out. So I'm really glad you joined us today. Um, what does it mean to you to raise the bar in the field of parks and recreation? This is the last thing I'll ask you, Jeremy. To remember our missions. Um, and in a time where culturally we're being asked to do more with less and we're being uh, taught that metrics matter, um, to remember what metrics we're setting, why we're setting those metrics, and um, if our overall mission, which is what I hear from people all the time, is we want to make people's lives better, we want to make communities better, then 
is making $10,000 instead of $9,000 really making the community better? Or is that uh, a metric that maybe we need to rethink? Um, so I think to raise our bar, we need to go back to the basics of how do we make individual and community lives better? What are their needs, not our needs? If our need is being determined by a board that says, well, you have to make this amount of money, that could be real. But is it, is it the top priority that we really need to be focusing on at that particular moment? I definitely agree. And I love that. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us before we um, end our interview? How we can get a hold of you, professionals in our field? Um, anything else you want to share? No, I mean, I, I think, again, thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity in order to uh, talk with you, get to know you better. I love connecting with Western's alums, right? I've only been here six years, so there's a whole group of them that I don't know. And I, I love meeting them and hearing what the program used to be and sharing what it is now. So thank you for that part. Um, in all honesty, just reach out to reach out to the department of the university that's close to you. Or even if you don't know who to reach out to at one of those universities, uh, email me jl-robinette at wiu.edu. Uh, I think I'm one of the only Robinettes without an E on the end at Western. So if you can't figure out um, how to reach a faculty member at another university, uh, we, we get along well. And so if you ask me who would be a great contact at another school, I'm more than happy to share that. Um, we are part of a group that needs to be advocating and supporting one another. So um, more than happy to help make those introductions and connections if someone will reach out. But I honestly believe that if you will reach out to faculty members, um, if you aren't familiar with higher ed, if you see a name and it says department chair or director next to their name, probably the easiest person for you to email uh, at that particular department and, and they'll help you find the, the person that's best suited to whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Awesome. Well, thank you for everything today, Jeremy, all of your insights um, and expertise. Um, and hopefully everyone gained a lot of information from this episode and a lot of action steps that they can take to improve our field and better educate our youth about our field of parks and recreation. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. All right.